All right, we're in Ephesians in chapter number six tonight. Ephesians in chapter number six. All right, Ephesians chapter number six. The heavenly calling of the local church. God's called on us to live out our faith on this earth. And uh, that's regardless of the circumstances, most definitely. And I thank God that he provides what we need to do that. And so we're looking tonight at Ephesians 6, and let's begin our reading verse number 10. We covered verses 10 through 13 last Sunday night about the spiritual battle and called it um, strong to meet the foe, strong to meet the foe. And so tonight we'll pick up our text in verse 14 and had seriously endeavored to uh, preach verse 14, 15, 16 maybe even 17, but it looks like it's just going to be verse 14. So that's kind of how this all worked out. We'll see. It, I've got notes enough to, well, I've got notes enough to keep you here a while, but we'll be mindful of the time, but uh, sure want to try to at least cover verse 14 thoroughly. You don't want to get in a hurry when you're preaching um, God's word, and the epistles, and um, there's just a lot packed in here. There's a lot packed in here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, friend, that's a serious battle. And so it's no wonder, verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore. <laughs> He's not moved on from that topic, has he? Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's keep reading. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. So you have two key verbs here. Verse 14, stand therefore. And then another imperative verb in verse number 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then actually the context of that runs through verse number 20 when he begins to speak about praying um, always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so we'll, we'll stop our reading there tonight. So um, the title of the message is simply this, gird your armor on. Gird your armor on. We are in a spiritual battle. Gird your armor on. So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll take in Paul's admonition here to us tonight. 
We began last week with a reference to uh, the second verse of the song, Sound the Battle Cry. I mentioned uh, that we have the pastoral uh, responsibilities class this semester, pastoral prep last semester, and we, every Friday morning right now, we sound the battle cry. And we sing that song, all three verses, and we try to sound it and, and uh, sing it, you know, in a way with heart. Um, this past week, Brother Steve Mabry was there representing deacons and Brother Keith Burns representing finance committee and Brother Ray Painter on missions committee. And so we're just trying to give them an idea what, what's the nuts and bolts in ministry. Um, but the main thing I'm hoping that the guys, the men get is this. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle and thus we sound the battle cry. The second verse says this, sound the battle cry, see the foe is nigh. Raise the standard high for the Lord. Gird your armor on. Gird your armor on. Stand firm, everyone. And then I like this. Rest your cause upon his holy word. Rouse then, soldiers. Rally round the banner. Ready, steady, pass the word along. Onward, forward. Shout aloud, Hosanna. Christ is captain of the mighty throne. So after uh, singing that, we're all ready uh, pretty much to go back to bed. But nonetheless, it's a 7.30 class. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like sometimes, all right, now let's go on a run, you know, is what I feel like after getting all those verses in. So as you maybe paid attention to the text here from reading verse 10 through verse number, uh, well, we went all the way through 18, then hopefully you noted that this is the fourth time in this, these verses where Paul emphasized Stand, stand, withstand, having done all to stand, stand, therefore, stand. And the idea is that you stand your ground, stand your ground. That, that means that, that you are under attack. We talked last uh, week about the wiles of the devil, and we talked about how that our enemy is not governmental officials, and it's, and it's not the person at work, it's not that difficult family member. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so it is a spiritual battle. And so we, we must stand our ground, stand our ground. And so Paul is exhorting this in that way. Now, Paul mentions this four times and it struck me as significant that he emphasized it that way four times. Paul was not the type of man that just arbitrarily uh, repeated himself as though he didn't know what to say. You get what I'm saying? He intentionally said, listen, uh, church, and this is his final comments to this church that he dearly loved, that he spent a good amount of time with. And he's saying, listen, we need to understand that we are in a spiritual battle and you got to stand, stand your ground. Don't give up land for peace with the world because you won't find peace with the world. And so he's exhorting them. And we know also, of course, this is given to us by inspiration of God. And thus, I believe it's safe to say, and it is right to say, that it is the Spirit of God exhorting us even to this very day as Southwest Baptist Church that we are in a time when there's going to be extra pressure and thus we need God's exhortation to us to stand. I'm afraid that there may be many Christians, and there are, but maybe even some here who perhaps do not take the spiritual battle that we're in seriously. 
Um, and as a result, they're not standing their ground. Now, I'd like to think that Southwest Baptist Church is exempt from that, but that wouldn't be the case. Um, I read this week a quote by a man named John Stott who said this, wobbly Christians who have no firm hold, foothold in Christ are easy prey for the devil. Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are easy prey for the devil. And I'm afraid there's some here tonight that may be easy prey for the devil. Easy prey. Um, there's a danger tonight that you may dismiss a lot of what I'm saying last week and, and tonight. And I, I know no one here would do it in a rude fashion. I, I know that. That's not this church. That's not you. You, you have high regard for preaching. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's a problem here in that regard. But some may, may dismiss it just simply as preaching. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it, we can grow accustomed to this and we can just say, well, sure, he's going to preach that we're in a spiritual battle because that's what preachers do. That's what preachers say. They, they, in some ways, maybe because they didn't get to go into the military, they feel like they need to take it out here in the church. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you view it that way, but there is a danger that we get so used to what we're doing here that we're overlooking the reality that we are indeed in a battle. And thus, if I could say it this way, preaching exists because the battle is real. You follow me, young people. Tonight, I'm going to emphasize it's youth night. And, and I'm saying to you, preaching exists Youth camp exists, youth conference exists, regular preaching services exist because the battle is real. Parents of teenagers tonight, you know this to be true. You've got enough life experience to know this. The battle is real. And so preaching exists because the battle is real. I, I'm not interested in any service of just filling time. I, I'm not clocking in here. I'm not doing this for pay. I'm doing this because the battle is real and there's an enemy that wants to, to destroy your testimony and destroy your life and destroy your family. And I know for sure based on the word of God here that he wants to destroy this church because we're making ground and we're seeing people saved and trying to do the work that God has given us. And Satan hates that type of light. And thus preaching exists because the battle is real and too many Christians are giving up ground for peace with the world. And many of you have seen this. You've been around long enough that you've seen this happen to understand its validity. And I've seen people that, that have taken what is here and they've applied it to their life. And watch this. There are, very, there are Christians in this very auditorium tonight that have been standing firm for many years through many years of ministry because their, their loins are girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness is in place and their feet sh are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And they have the shield of faith wherewith they have been able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and they've taken unto themselves the helmet of salvation and they have the sword of the spirit, not their sword, but the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And they spent much time in prayer and thus they have a successful battle ready Christian life. 
To be honest with you, I can't believe that I remembered all that. <laughs> but it's right there in the Word. But then sadly, I've seen some who have not been committed to truth, who have not been committed to righteousness, who have not been committed to peace and to faith and to salvation and to the Word of God, and their life tells the story of it. And your life will tell the story of it. You know, it's a shame and it would be a shame if others took training seriously and Christians did not. You know what this is? This is like training. I'm not a master teacher. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. We are all learning together from the master teacher in his word. And this is training for us. This is equipping for us. It's sad that there are those in a medical program that take their training much more seriously than Christians do. And I'm sure glad for those that are in medical training that, that take their training seriously. If somebody's going to do cutting on you, you'd want them to take their training seriously. For sure. But it's sad that some sports teams give more attention to their preparation to win ball games than some Christians take to be ready for spiritual battle. Sometimes I think about young people, you know, and what we're doing here is Brother Seth is leading the, the choir and they were singing and, and, and I, hey, by the way, I mean, you can tell they're not just playing fun and games up there on Sunday nights. Evidently, there's some practices that have been taking place. Now, I've been up there. I try to go up there sometimes and they'll play ping pong and round robin style, you know, where you get one hit and you got to move around and you get about 30 young people in there and that's, it's on. It's fun. I mean, hey, that's, that's great. I, I love that because that builds relationships. It's built camaraderie and, and, and we get the young people out there and play some one-pitch softball. And I mean, all that's good, good for them because they get to build relationships. But, but I know this, they need training in more than sports. And they need training in more than, than, than the things that a lot of young people are involved in. They need to have training in the Word of God, which by the way, begins not at the church house, but at the house. It's got to begin right there and, and the training, the equipping that is there and the teaching that goes along with that. But, but I'm thankful for the youth ministry that, that is going on. Is this a perfect youth ministry? No, by no means. I'm not saying that at all, but, but I think about it in, in the preaching that some of them do and the teaching of lessons or giving of testimonies or loving on older people. It's wonderful. It's good because I, I think about young people maybe in, in the Middle East that are being trained in terror, terrorist organizations from childhood up on how to be a terrorist. Woe unto us in the United States of America if we miss the opportunity here within our ranks to train the next generation not how to handle a machine gun, but how to handle the Word of God that will really fortify their life. Yeah. I read of a, a, a Puritan minister who wrote a book back in 1655. 1655, The Christian in Complete Armor is the title of the book. Here's the subtitle. See, subtitles are not a new thing. They've been around a long time. Listen to this subtitle. Are you ready? 
The saints war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of the grand enemy of God and his people in his policies, power, seat of his empire, wickedness, chief design he hath against the saints. A magazine open from which Christians is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle helped on with his armor and taught the use of his weapon together with the happy issue of the whole war. Now, friends and neighbors, that is a subtitle. I felt all of my subtitles were way inferior once I read the paragraph. So now I'm inspired. Oh, great. The subtitles are being longer than the message. <laughs> Listen to this. This is interesting to me. Okay, so he based his books on these 11 verses that we are taking a few services on. So I definitely don't feel bad about spending a little bit more time than what I initially planned. He took these 11 verses and wrote three volumes. 261 chapters. 1,472 pages. Why? In 1655, he believed they were in a real spiritual battle. He said things, and which by the way, it's not all fluff. It's not like he was just, it wasn't, and by the way, I guarantee you this, it wasn't like 16 font <laughs> with a two inch margin. No, he wasn't trying to add pages for his, you know, his assignment. No, it, it, I, didn't, I have not seen the book, so I'm not speaking firsthand, but just knowing how those books were written, it wasn't written that way. And it was weighty, and he said things like this, In heaven we shall appear not in our armor, but in robes of glory. But here the armor must be worn night and day. He warned Christians with this analogy. He said, every fly dares venture to creep on a sleeping lion. Now stop and think about that. This fly thinks there's a lion, but I can handle him. Landing on a lion. Hey, I'm, I'm warning us tonight in the same vein because our enemy and the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay, another example that I found was this Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many of you enjoy reading after Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you know him, a preacher of a different generation. But he wrote two volumes on these same 11 verses that are seven, that the two volumes together are 736 pages long just on this text. Why? Because during the 1960s and 1970s, he believed that we are in a real war. If I've got my time frame right. Six pieces of armor are mentioned here. They, they are this, they are forged by God. They are forged by God. They are made by God. They are furnished by God. There are six. Initially, I had thought to cover four. We are now down to two. The belt or girdle of truth, having our loins girt about with truth, you don't mind, I'd rather say belt than girdle. But he says, our loins gird about with truth, that which would go around the waist. Why did he say that? And, and here is Paul chained, as we see in verse 20, I believe it is, chained to a Roman soldier, perhaps, in chains for sure. 
And he'd seen countless Roman soldiers in his time. And he's saying to Christians of his time, which echoes through the centuries to our time, that in this spiritual battle, we better have our loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's just begin right there and we'll, we'll see how this goes. If you're going to be successful in the spiritual battle that is against your, your spiritual well-being, then you've got to have your loins girt about with truth. This would be the foundational element of the foundational piece of armor. After they're just putting on their normal clothing, then this would be the first thing most likely that would have gone on because the sword would be attached to it. Other things, they, actually I read one that said there was actually three belts that they could have worn, but one belt in particular. And so it was that which would organize everything. And so they would gird up their loins. And so many of you are familiar with that terminology. So as they would wear the, the flowing robes, if you're going to gird up your loins, that means this, the, the battle is going to be intense. And so you need to be able to move about. And, and he also is emphasizing this. And, and if you wear the, the belt, and, and we talk about tighten up our belt. Now, sometimes you do that because you don't have a whole lot of money. You got to eat beans and rice and rice and beans. If you want a little variety, right? Going to tighten up the belt, meaning I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of money here. But that's not what Paul is saying. He, he's, the idea is that you, your loins you need to be girt about because this is a strenuous activity. And so even when you do some heavy lifting or, or if maybe, maybe you've had some back issues, then you may wear a, a belt that would strengthen you because just that belt around you gives you the sense of strength. And also a place to hang the sword, as we mentioned. Alexander McLaren, another preacher of a different generation, said essentially the same thing. We must be braced up because we are in a fight. And that which would brace us or that which would give us the strength for the battle or organize our lives, that which would be foundational, the thing that we need to emphasize tonight is not the, not the loins girt about or the belt there itself, but rather what it symbolized and it would be this, the truth. Because if you're going to be victorious against the wiles, the schemes, the tactics, the deceitfulness of the devil, then you better know what is truth. And your life better be given to the truth. Now, there's some question here, if we could just uh, in engage in this, there's some question here, is this doctrinal truth or is this truth in the sense of your life being true? Or is it a sense of both? Well, we know that later on he's going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit, and that certainly would be our source of Bible doctrine. But I would submit to you that what Paul is emphasizing here is that we need to have our loins girt about with truth in the sense that the foundation to our Christian life is knowing what you believe from the Word of God. That would be objective truth. And then we also need to have subjective truth in this sense. When I take the Word of God and I apply it to my life, then it makes me to be a truthful person. Amen. Honest. A person of integrity. Our truthfulness is based on the work of God's truth in our lives. Loins gird about with truth. What we need to do is to internalize God's truth so that we live and move within God's truth. 
Just as that soldier would gird his loins on, would put on that, that belt and, and be ready to mobilize. And, and again, the idea in all of these is that we might be ready to stand our ground. And so he's saying, you're not going to be ready to stand your ground if you're not committed to truth. By the way, God desires truth in the inward parts. Psalm 51 verse 6. Uh, in Ephesians, he's talking about truth. As you maybe would look back at verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse number 15. Just take a, a look with me here. Chapter 4 and verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Also in chapter 4 and verse number 25, he says, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man what? Truth. There it is. Speak every man truth, that which conforms to reality. Satan loves to work in darkness. He works in deceit. He's a liar and the father of it. We're talking tonight about you standing your ground. How is it that Satan could get through to you and do damage to your life? I believe tonight that there are many that know the truth, but they're not regarding the truth. Yes. Yes. Now, there are many that, that their life is showing evidence that Satan has worked his deceitful ways in, and we'll get specific about that here in just, just a moment. There are many that Satan has worked his way into their thinking and into their life, and they don't understand the truth, perhaps. But I don't think that's the typical problem of today's Christian family or today's Christian that is overrun by the enemy. I'm afraid that there are many that know the truth, but just leave the belt off to the side. And no wonder you're not standing your ground if your mind is saturated with lies. No wonder you're not standing your ground if you've got an outward conformity to the truth. And even if you know a whole bunch of Bible doctrine, objective truth, I mean, you've, you've known it since uh, tonight's youth night. I'm going to deal with this here a little bit with the youth. You've known objective truth. I'm talking about Bible truth, the doctrines of the Bible. You know the Word of God says that God is holy and you're supposed to be holy. You know that. But if you only know that intellectually but you're not really internalizing that and applying it to your life. You're leaving the belt of truth off and the enemy is getting through to you. Warren Wiersbe said this, once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. Once a lie gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. Let me ask you this tonight. Did David know the truth about adultery? He knew the truth. But in that battle, he did not gird his loins about with truth. And he let a lie in. And he began to dismantle his life and his family's life. 
You're listening to me here tonight. Because if that happened in the life of David, it can happen in our lives as well. Did Ananias and Sapphira know the truth that they were supposed to be honest and truthful? They knew that truth, but they left the loins, uh, they did not gird their loins on about with truth. They left the belt off and they figured we can handle this one our way. When you let one lie get into your life, everything begins to fall apart. Are you listening to me here tonight? I know I'm preaching to young people and adults alike that, that understand and on Sunday buy the truth about purity, but on Friday may sell out. Or with one click of the mouse, or one tap of the finger on the phone, may go to a website, or send a message that in no ways indicates that you're concerned about girding your loins on with truth. Listen to this quote here again by John Stott. He said, to be deceitful, to lapse into hypocrisy. To present yourself one way, and I'm not trying to pick on our young people. I'd say the same thing about our choir. I'd say the same thing about you and I here tonight. To act one way up here, but another way out in the car, or another way in the, in the various rooms of the house, or another way at your public high school, or at your Christian high school, is not girding your loins on with truth, and it's no wonder that Satan's getting in. I'm exhorting us here tonight because we are in a spiritual battle. I'm exhorting us against hypocrisy that, that we would have a facade and we know how to dress and we know how to act and we know all the verses, but you're not really applying it to your life. You're going into the battle of life without your loins girt about with truth and falsehood will fill your life. You'll become another casualty. Satan loves to work where there's a lack of truth. That belt held everything together. The truth of God's word will hold everything together. But if you are either uninformed, you're not daily in the word, which by the way, you so desperately, have I ever preached that here? That we need to be daily in the word because it's saturating our minds with truth. Jesus said, sanctify them, set them apart from the world by thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're not going to be set apart for God's use if you're saturating your mind with the things of this world and you're not saturating your mind with the truth of God's word. I'm, I'm pleading with you tonight to, to lay aside the, the belt and the ideas of the world and to gird yourself with the truth of God's word tonight. Get, get the ungodly music out of your life. Get the ungodly videos out of your life. If you have to go without your phone for a while, it's going to be worth it to get truth back into your life. Because otherwise, you are no match for the world. You are no match for your flesh. You're no match for the devil. And it's no wonder that Christians are falling left and right because they're not having their loins girt about with truth. Satan is so deceitful. We're living in a nation today that is bombarded with deceitful lies. Here's what happens. Those that stand for the truth are made to look like they're being deceitful. This is the anniversary of 
Roe v. Wade, this is, the, this is the time of the year when we recognize the sanctity of human life. This, this past week, this weekend, if, I, if I'm understanding things right and, and, and all those things. And I, I was driving in yesterday and thinking about this truth. And, and it just happened on the radio as I was pulling up that it was Martin Luther King's course uh, tomorrow being Martin Luther King's King Day. And, but his niece, I, I believe it was Alveda King that was speaking. And, and she herself was nearly aborted. She had two abortions herself, but now she's speaking out across the land about the truth because what's happening in our land is that things like abortion are presented as a civil right. I read, it was so audacious. I, I mean, I read so much that, that is on the conservative side. All you got to do, and I'm not advocating this, but I came across an article about, well, what would Dr. King say if he were here? And there's all kinds of speculation about that, but, and I'm not even getting into that. I'm just telling you what I heard yesterday and, and how it applies to this message because I read an article that said, abortion is a human right. I read it again. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. You're saying on paper, black and white, and it's there for everybody to read that you're saying that abortion is a human right? They've made it a civil justice matter. But the injustice is done to the unborn. And here's what Alveda King is pointing out. And she said this, Margaret Sanger, the founder of what is now the Planned Parenthood, said, now here's a, a black lady saying what the founder of Planned Parenthood said. And here she is quoting Margaret Sanger. Is everybody following me? I'm just trying to show you how that we live in a society that is prone to lies. And then when people stand up to show the truth of it, it spun on them. And she said this, Margaret Sanger, and I, I've read some of the letters from her, so I know this is a valid quote. And she said, Margaret Sanger said, colored people are like weeds. They need to be eliminated. They need to be exterminated. And then she wrote this to this individual, 1939, I believe it was. We, we don't want the word to get out, so let's not package it that way. So they began to make, so that, that's why they began to make a lot of propaganda and marketing materials saying that abortion is a woman's right. It's helping her finish college. It's helping her get a job. It's helping her do this or that. But, but Miss, Miss King goes on to say this, listen to this tonight. The leading cause of death in the African, African American community is not gang violence, gun violence, heart attack, stroke, HIV, high blood pressure or diabetes. People will name all these. No, she says it's abortion. The reason we have come to that conclusion statistically is you've got 60 million plus abortions legal in America since 1973. About a third of those are African of the African American community. That traces always back to the founder of Planned Parenthood who said, essentially, the black people in our country are like weeds that need to be exterminated. I like what Ronald Reagan said. 
He said, I believe that until and unless someone can establish that the unborn child is not a living human being, then that child is already protected by the Constitution, which guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we are surrounded by people who hide the truth, deny the truth, twist the truth, and it all has its origins in God's enemy, in Satan. Now, that's just one illustration in a societal issue. Because the word of God holds up one race, the human race, and that we're to love every single person. And, and yet there are the wiles of the devil that make people like us seem like hateful when all we're trying to do is say every life is important. I'm telling you, Satan is a deceiver. You need to have your loins girt about with truth today. Satan will lie about God. He'll make God look strict. Satan is promoting a lie right now about Calvinism that says that Jesus died only for a certain group of people and only a certain group can be saved. That's a lie from the devil. He loves every single person. And we need to have our loins girt about with truth because it's making its way through even Baptist ranks. But I'm telling you, it didn't come from God, friend, because whosoever, I wonder what that means, whosoever. It means exactly what you think it means. And that's the truth. I, listen, don't believe it because I'm saying it. Say, believe it because it's what's in God's word. You need to have your loins girt about with truth. He'll, he'll say that God's too strict. He'll tell you that, that if you give your life to God, it'll be a, a boring, wasteful life. I'm telling you, I'm having the time of my life right now. Amen. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He'll bring up your past and say, you, God can't use you. You have no future. Look at what you've done. Well, the truth is, is that he's a God whose mercy is there every morning and he's a God who can forgive and that's the truth. And so when the old accuser comes your way, you need to have your loins girt about with truth. That's the first item. See why we're not preaching all of them? The second piece of armor is this, the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness. It would be metal or chains that would go from the neck to the waist. Protecting the vital organs. Some say it even covered the back. Perhaps it did. I don't know for sure. But nonetheless, it would protect. And again, remember, we're talking about standing your ground. And so he, you would have the, the, the breastplate that would cover those vital organs. And he says this, and this is Paul's main point. It's that which would cover your heart. And he says it's the breastplate of righteousness. You need to have your loins girt about with truth. And then you need to have the breastplate of righteousness on. Well, what does that mean? Remember, we're talking about our enemy being the devil coming against us. And, and so having the breastplate of righteousness on. So which righteousness is that talking about? There's basically two types in the, in the New Testament. One would be this, a positional righteousness, which means that I realized at one point in time, I had no righteousness and I needed to be saved and I need to receive God's righteousness. Well, you certainly need that. 
But there's also in Ephesians, the righteousness that he says that he's, he, he's created you unto righteousness and thus not only positional righteousness, knowing that everything's right between you and God, but also this practical righteousness on a day-to-day basis. And I'm saying to you today, I think Paul had both in mind. You need to know you're saved and you need to live like it. Because your enemy will endeavor to attack you. To get you to deviate from that which is right. Not only does he come at you with deceit, but he comes at you to get you to deviate to do what's wrong. I hope tonight you understand you can't take that breastplate of righteousness and set it off to the side and then come back and pick it up next Sunday. And think that you're going to survive in a world in which he is firing fiery darts. We haven't even got to the shield yet. But just, just that, that, that code of mail, that, that code of, uh, of, of protection for the vital parts. What, what Satan would like to do is, is get his way of life and his thoughts about life into your heart. You, you can't afford say, well, I'll do what's right at church, but I'll do what I want at work. Or I'll do what I want online. Or I'll do what I want on my phone. I know it's not right. Hey, are you listening to me here tonight? You know it's not right. I, I don't think I'm preaching to people who, who do not know the difference between right and wrong. We all know right and wrong. It's just there's sometimes we buy the truth and we do right. And other times we know what's the truth and we know what's right, but we set aside the truth and thus we set aside what's right and we do what we want. And there's enough human history to bear out that every time any believer of any position of any time sets aside what's truth and doesn't do what's right, it doesn't end well. How are you going to stand The only way you'll be ready to stand is if you're living your life based on what's true and being truthful and not dishonest and hypocritical. And the only way you're going to stand is if you make up your mind by the grace and the help of God. Remember, we got to go back to verse 10 where we're strong in the power of his might, not my might, not your might, but that you stand your ground and you make up your mind by the grace and help of God. I'm going to do what's right. It may not be what's popular. It may not be what I want to do at the time, but I'm going to say what's right, think what's right, listen to what's right, do what's right. Satan has a hard time getting through there. If you say, well, I know what's right, but you leave it off. You're a wobbly Christian. And you're easy prey for the devil. I've heard about, I've read about some of our special forces during the time, even of Vietnam, that had to cross what we would consider an open field with high grass, 
And what they would do is they would move literally inches at a time, slowly. It would take hours. But they were a hard target. I, I tell you what they did not do. With the North Korean army anywhere, they did not get up from where they were and just walk across the field thinking, well, I hope this goes all right. No, they literally got down and barely moved. Why? They wanted to be a hard target. Too many Christians today are an easy target for the devil. Because you're moving anywhere you want to on that phone. Moving anywhere you want to on that TV. Moving in and out anywhere you want to. I mean, it's not concerned about what's true and what's right. I'm telling you, you're an easy target. I believe God's calling on us here. Everybody listen to this. I believe God's calling on us here to say, listen, you are in a war zone. Those of you that have young, that have young people in your home, don't, don't go across that field that's filled with violence and vulgarity and all those things and think that it's not going to affect your children. You need, you need to get down. And I'm saying to every dad here, you are a platoon leader. And I, I have the utmost respect for some of those men that in 1966 or 1967 and men that served in our, in our United States military, some of them even just 18, 19, 20 years old, maybe a little bit older than that, thrown sometimes into leading a platoon. There's some dads here tonight. You're leading your platoon. You got to get low. Humble and say, God, please protect me and my family. Help us, God. Help me with what's true. I'm so prone to believe a lie. God, help me to believe what's true about you. Help me to believe what's true about, uh, about, about your people. Help me to believe what's true in life. We are inundated with what's not true. God, help me to know what's true and help me to live what is true. And God, help me to know what's right and do what's right, not just for me, but for those behind me. We're in a battle. May God help us. Let's stand together here tonight. To stand, you must be protected by what's true and what's right. I hope this week you'll meditate on it. That'll help you. That'll solve. That'll answer a lot of questions. Is this true? Is it right? Is it true? Is it right? Is it true? Is it right? Just asking yourself that question over and over again. Does this line up with what is true from the Word of God? Does this line up with what is right in the Word of God? Because listen, friend, we are in a battle and we're fools to kid ourselves otherwise. Is it true? Is it right? Heavenly Father, as we come before you, some already have responded. I pray you'd help us tonight in this battle. It wasn't just a serious battle in the 1600s or the latter parts of the 20th century. It's a serious battle tonight. And there are casualties on every hand. People out of church, families that are divided, churches that are split, lives that are destroyed because of a disregard for truth 
and righteousness. Oh God, help us, mobilize us, Lord, in this spiritual battle, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.